0: From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard.
1: And I'm Clark Corbin.
0: We talk about education policy and education politics, and we talk about the intersection between the two. And it feels especially stark this week because the education policy of reopening schools really smashed headlong into the education policy. Politics of reopening schools this week. I mean, we saw examples of that at the state and federal level. So, a lot to get to, and we're going to emphasize the school reopening issue. Clark, I'm going to start, have you start, because you are our lead person, have been our lead person on the school reopening committee and the school reopening debate, and you covered uh, Governor Little's uh, presser on Thursday. So, get us caught up on what you've heard this week and where we are right
1: now. Yeah, this is. This is a big story coming together this week after, I think, about four weeks of anticipation. Governor Little earlier in the summer and the State Board of Education had convened a working group. It was a public school reopening committee with some legislators on there, some school administrators, a couple of parents, at least one a public health official. And for the last four weeks or so, they've been working to develop some guidelines. And all this is is guidelines. These aren't mandates. These aren't requirements. Uh, But what it is is some guidelines intended to help local school officials, such as your board of trustees and your superintendent, develop the local reopening plans. Uh, None of that has changed in terms of the guiding philosophy. Uh, The case is still that your local school district uh, will come up with local plans for reopening in the fall. But now, uh, on Thursday of this week, the State Board of Education voted unanimously to adopt And then Governor Brad Little presented uh, this 32-page guideline um, about some frameworks for decision-making around the opening of public schools in the fall. And one thing I thought that was, well, there were a lot of things that I thought were really interesting, and we'll get into those piece by piece. But this was non binding guidance, but it very much took the expectation that schools will open in the fall. Governor Livell said that at several points. The expectation is that schools will open safely for in-person instruction at the end of the summer. Uh, on the first you page, no page no of the report, of it says preference. that.
0: The state board is making no secret of its preference. Superintendent of same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so this is very much, the guidelines are out there. You can take these and use these. But at the highest levels of state government, and as we will soon talk about the highest levels of federal government, the message is... Not just we would like to be open or we hope to be open, but we are expecting you to open. And to me, that was really interesting, and that sets up the politics of this. If you want to get into the what's in the plan just a little bit, we can get into maybe what's in the K-12 plan and, and interestingly, what's not in the K-12 plan. Really what it does, um, and it's a work in progress, uh, but really what it does is it creates a couple, three different categories for... Identifying the risk of transmission of this new coronavirus, Category 1, 2, and 3, ranging from Category 1, no community transmission, full-on traditional learning model, school buildings open. Uh, you move into Category 2, that's minimal to moderate community transmission, and schools have a slate of options from traditional openings uh, to a hybrid Blended model, that's maybe a little bit of a confusing term for people who aren't in education, but what that would mean is maybe limited, staggered use of the physical school buildings coupled with um, maybe some short-term closures, but coupled with an online learning component or a remote learning component. That's why the hybrid blended model comes in. And then you get to category three, which would be substantial community transmission Uh, And the recommended guidance there from the state, and all it is is recommended guidance at this point, would be full distance remote learning, school buildings closed for extended periods of time. That's kind of, and it's a 32-page report. We have it available, embedded at the article I wrote Thursday on the homepage, www.idahoednews.org, the article talking about the plan. There's a link to the plan, and the plan's embedded. But nuts and bolts, Mile High View, it, it creates those three categories and it offers some guidance and some decision-making in there. But one crucial thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you share your thoughts and reaction, but one crucial thing is that public health officials will make the determinations on the categories, whether a school will open in Category 1, 2, or 3. And we spoke with Dr. Christine Hahn, the state epidemiologist, on Thursday. Dr. Hahn said this guidance is brand new, and so as of today, you know, July 10th, um, Those categories have not yet been assigned to local schools. And so we're still figuring out where your local school might belong. But that's work that's going to take place over the next couple of weeks. That's kind of the basics of it, Kevin. What were you noticing?
0: Well, let's stay with those categories because I think that's a big deal at this point. Because where communities land in these categories and how you define minimal spread or widespread you know, community transmission yeah. is a is a big deal. It's going to be a defining point. And let's just take a step back and look at where we are right now in terms of the outbreak in Idaho. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Friday morning at, uh, at five or six on Friday afternoon. I'll, I'll wrap up our week's uh, blog, looking at the coronavirus numbers and looking at the trends. I can tell you right now, the, the trends that we're going to be writing about, that I'm going to be writing about on a Friday, are across the board troubling. I mean, you know, there isn't a metric that I see right now where I where I would point to and say, "Well, a glimmer of hope is." da, 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 da. There, there is there is very widespread uh, transmission across the state. Ada County is going to have another weekly high in, in new cases. Canyon County is going to have another weekly high. Kootenai County is going to have another weekly high. Well, those was three very large counties, so do the math. The state is going to have another one-week spike in new coronavirus cases. Hospitalization rates are going up a little bit. Deaths are, are increasing. They are not increasing as rapidly as the case numbers, but the health officials have been saying deaths are a lagging indicator that might not happen for several weeks but might yet happen. So yeah. there's very little in the state's numbers right now that are encouraging in terms of the idea of reopening schools. So that the timing of this, uh, of these guidelines coming out and coming with this expectation from the governor is very interesting. It, it's, you know, you have to come out with these guidelines in, in early July. I mean, we're only a few weeks away from the start of the school year, but in terms of the backdrop, in terms of what's going on with, with Idaho's coronavirus cases, the, the timing for putting out school reopening guidelines could hardly be worse because, you know, we're at a pretty uh, concerning time in terms of the coronavirus outbreak in in the state.
1: Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. Um, I attended the Governor Little's press conference at the state capitol building on Thursday. I believe you watched it. Remotely, and that was that was kind of what you just talked about was sort of the lead, uh, the opening paragraph that I put on my story about reopening was <laughs> coming on the heels of a record number of single-day new cases. The governor has come out with this expectation, and there was a long moment during the press conference where I tried to ask the governor, yes,
0: yes.
1: you have, you, you know, you've come out and set a very clear expectation. At this point in Ada County where we live, would it be safe for schools to go back on Monday? Coming up on Monday, would it be safe to go back and reopen for students and for staff members, keeping in mind there might be some older staff members or some staff members with a higher risk profile? And, the, and, and it was a little bit of a difficult exchange. The governor, I don't think, liked the question. He said, listen, we could deal with hypotheticals all day long, but school doesn't open on Monday, and so we have time. And at the end of the day, the way that he left it was, and this is Governor Little speaking. He said, "I don't want the message to be that we're not opening." Um,
0: and-, and, and yeah, and I listened to that, and I thought it was a, an excellent question. And you know, his, his answer was was fairly uh, was fairly vague. I yeah. mean, you know, he, he, this is not that hypothetical. I mean. I think uh, to me the middle of August seems hypothetical. Probably want a little bit of a, a roadmap at this point of, you know, when will it be safe? When will it be prudent within these guidelines to be reopening school? What? How many cases are too many? How much spread yeah. is too much? That's not a hypothetical question. That's a real question, or it will be a real question in six weeks.
1: I was trying to find out the baseline. Where are we at today?
0: How much is too much? I think that is a question that is on parents' minds. It's on the minds of educators. Uh, you know, that's not a hypothetical question. That is that is the question, really. When, when you get down to, to reopening schools, I mean, and you know, I wonder about the mood. You know, I. You know, we were talking about it before we we clicked on the, the microphone. Yeah. Um, one of my side gigs here is uh, doing a weekly segment with uh, Idaho News Six with Michelle Edmonds, and we've been talking about the reopening plans uh, for weeks, and we've been taking comments in real time from from viewers. And this is not scientific. This is anecdotal to the max. These are people who are tuned in to watch us at 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning, who care about education and are trying to get their heads wrapped around uh, reopening issues. So this is not a scientific sample, but Michelle and I both picked up on it, that the comments this week, the tide is different. You know, the comments were, I'm keeping my kid home. I'm going to homeschool. I'm going to do virtual. I'm not ready to send my, my child to school. And it just, it feels different right now. And we don't know what that's going to look like in in August. That is a hypothetical. What will happen in August? What you know? Will how many parents will send their kids? What will kindergarten registration look like? We, we don't have those answers yet. Right. But it feels mm. different at this point.
1: Yeah, I I think that that's I think that that's interesting. Um, I, I think that's an interesting perspective. Like you said, not scientific, but it's something. Uh, and, and those feelings. Are certainly out there. And we do know that a lot of school administrators, and we know this from surveys we covered earlier in the summer, but we know a lot of school administrators and a lot of parents hope that we can return to more of a traditional setting in the fall. They would like that. They think that's best for kids. They think that, uh, well, quite honestly, there were some very real concerns uh, about the quality and uniformity of the distance and remote learning that took place in the spring. You know, maybe we were able to learn from some of those mistakes. Maybe we're able to gear up a little bit more uh, for that possibility this fall. And and so I know that a lot of people are hoping to go back in the fall. Mm -hmm. I know the governor's expectation is that we'll go back in the fall. Um, But I think it's real that we are seeing uh, some concern out there and some questions out there. The other thing about this reopening plan, there's a number of things, Kevin, as we've talked about, that this reopening plan doesn't even address. And some of these are like bigger, high-level obstacles that are giving school administrators a hard time. One of them is this issue of civil liability. And it's Mm -hmm. not unique to schools, but it's a problem that schools are facing. And the idea is, uh, well, what school administrators have told us is that their insurance carriers have said, if someone contracts, if someone gets sick with the coronavirus and catches it at a school and sues the school... The insurance carriers aren't aren't going to cover the costs, mm-hmm. and this is a major issue. The school reopening plan doesn't address it at all. In fact, the school reopening plan has a disclaimer saying this is not intended to provide legal guidance. This is not a legal document. Um, the governor has hinted that this is one of those areas that could justify calling a special session of the legislature. And and I know the governor's well aware of this, and I know the governor's staff is well aware of this, but by the time this podcast hits the streets, we're basically looking at five weeks until school starts in our biggest district. Uh, So that's not addressed. And I know that there are some school administrators that may not feel comfortable moving forward until that's addressed. Sports. Sports is also not addressed. And that's... um, In in the last two weeks, my eyes have really opened to how sports could be a, a barrier. I heard... I believe it was Gina Pinnell, program manager from Central District Health, which is a local public health district here where I live in Boise, Mm -hmm. saying, I don't see how we can intermingle districts for competitive sports and open schools in person in the fall. That was her concern because of the travel, uh, because of the contact, because of the groupings, because of, you know, maybe different exposure profiles. She said, we don't want people shouting in close proximity to each other, let alone playing sports and tackling each other and sweating on each other. Um, there's a couple other things that aren't in the reopening plan. I'm not sure it really gets into how to count and factor attendance, which is important in the state of Idaho because it drives funding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a couple things in there that, and they said, you know, we're trying to get guidance out there that'll be helpful. Uh, it's a breathing living document that, you know, this is not the last word. Um, this committee may get together again. It may update the reopening plan again. I think the State Board of Education is going to go back to a little bit more regular meetings uh, from here on out. But uh, I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that's not in there.
0: And you've got school administrators, school trustees are going to have to make this decision in the next few weeks. And they're not going to make it in a vacuum because you know, there is a role now for, for health districts to play. There yeah. is potentially in, in an impasse or in a, uh, you know, in a disagreement, there's a role for, you know, the state even to play. Yeah, uh, you know, They could step in, but for now, the lead uh, decision-making authority goes to the local school districts, to yeah. the charter schools, to the administrators, to the trustees who have to wrestle with the liability issue, but also the, you know, you know, the public health aspect of reopening school. I mean, if you have a spread originating in a school, it's not just a liability issue. It's a community health issue. And I don't think there's any administrator, right. trustee, who will take that lightly. I mean, you know, nobody wants to be the administrator or the trustee who signed off on a reopening that led to you know, an outbreak. And we've seen how quickly you can have an outbreak. We've seen how quickly you can have a spreader event. You know originating in, in one you know we've seen it in you know food manufacturing plants yeah we could see it in a school when, when schools reopen i mean that's you know entirely plausible so, yeah it is there's a lot there for school administrators to kind of chew on and, and, and as you mentioned a lot of things that this uh that this document really doesn't address i mean sports is a you know is a big deal and if you're watching anything that's going on with the debate over college sports in the fall you know that this is going to be a difficult issue for for idaho high schools to to come to grips with
1: yeah with i mean when you look at you know and i'm not an expert we're going to move on from sports here in a second but when you look at the professional sports and these you know ncaa division one programs and the resources and the personnel and the information and the facilities that they have at their fingertips and they're having a hard time and they're making major changes in, just in the last couple of days. And I expect we'll see more uh, that are going to surprise people. But when you've got these organizations with this kind of capacity uh, and, and they're having that hard of a time and they're having second thoughts and maybe even saying, well, maybe no football this fall, maybe no sports this fall, uh, maybe no sports for the rest of 2020 calendar year. That it really puts the, it I'm in perspective. Dollars on the line
0: when you're talking about college football. yeah. I mean, when you're talking about big time college football, I mean this is this is a multi-million dollar decision for, for these institutions. Oh so, yeah. It's a difficult decision for them to face. It's still going to be a difficult decision for high schools.
1: Yeah. And, you know. So I, I, that's a lot and our our homepage www.idahoednews.org is it's got good coverage of the reopening plan. It's going to continue to be one of our top stories. Kevin, were there any other things on the K twelve reopening plan that you wanted to highlight, or, or did you want to talk about I'm higher education? The,
0: well, the one thing, and, it had, and it's also part of the backdrop for this week, uh-huh. was President Trump's comments. Oh on, yeah,
1: the White House summit was earlier this week.
0: Yeah, you know, a little bit more of. I mean, if, if Brad Little was talking about expecting schools to reopen and, and trying to put, you know, maybe a. You know, a kinder face on the expectation of schools reopening, you know, you know urging schools to reopen. You know, the president took, as he tends to do on a lot of issues, took a, a pretty hard line on this, saying, you know, schools will reopen, and if not, um, we will withhold federal funding to schools that do not open. So the president injecting himself in this local and state debate um, in a very profound way. And I'm really I'm fascinated by the politics of it as it plays out in, in the weeks and months to come, because, you know, the polling indicates that this is a president who is struggling right now with, with suburban moms. And, you know, I, I can't think of an issue that is more sensitive to suburban moms than is school going to reopen? Is it safe to reopen school? So for the president to inject himself and to take a very hard line on, not only will schools reopen, but if they don't reopen, it's going to cost them money. That, yeah, you know, the, the politics of that is really interesting to me.
1: It's, I'm I'm so glad that you reminded me because uh, we had talked about how we wanted to mention this. That's really interesting to me. It's really important, and the timing. I, I don't think you want to overlook that. I, the president's summit with the what you're talking about. The remarks from the president came during his summit on school reopening, which was earlier in the week. I want to say Tuesday. I, I watched just a <laughs> yep. little bit of it. Didn't actually hear the part where the president spoke, but our Sammy Edge covered it. But so the president said that on Tuesday, basically, we're not going to make this political, but we're going to put a lot of political pressure on the states and our governors to reopen. We know that Governor Brad Little uh, speaks with the president. He's spoken of the president favorably in person and online. And then so the president says that on Tuesday, and then Idaho comes out with its plan on Thursday saying that they're encouraging and expecting schools to open, I, I think it's interesting. But when you talk about, you know, the president's polling numbers and the politics of the president's decisions, I think that, you know, folks may want to be careful here. If if there's a sense that school reopening or our students have become this political football in this pawn, that may really leave a bad, bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Uh, and so yeah. that's an area to watch out for, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think politically, you know, there's one profound difference between President Trump and, and Governor Brad Little. There are a lot
1: of... But there are the many. Let's say there are many differences.
0: But, but two that are really important to to note here is, you know, Trump is on the ballot this year. Brad Little is not. Sure. Um, and, and, and secondly, I think, I think President Trump has tried to normalize coronavirus and, and tried to Convey the idea that it's under control. You know, death rates are dropping, or you know, death, you know, death rate is slowing down. We've got this thing under control. Politically, he has tried to pivot away from talking about coronavirus and talking more about uh, about social issues and, and trying to make this into a campaign on you know, on hot button cultural issues. Governor Little, I, I don't think has you know tried to normalize coronavirus. I think he's certainly said all the right things in terms of recognizing this is a serious problem and the numbers in Idaho are, are alarming in his words. Um, yeah. I, I, he's I, taking a different approach
1: to it. Oh, the, totally the different approach. And, and I want to be real clear about my comments when I was talking about, is this school reopening going to become a political footballer upon? I was talking about the federal response, yes. not our state of Idaho's response. I would say another extremely important distinction between our governor In President Trump is from the beginning. Governor Brad Little has worn a mask in public and has encouraged others to do so. Um, At every press conference I've been to, I've seen the governor wearing a mask. At every event uh, that's public that I've seen, the governor is wearing a mask. He's encouraging others to do so. He had two different questions during Thursday's press conference. Hey, governor, what can Idahoans do to get the cases under control and try to have school in the fall? Short answers both times from Governor Little, uh, wear a mask and, and try to help protect your neighbors. And so the mask <laughs> issue, the governors handle it totally different than the president.
0: Absolutely. And that's all fair. And I think that's all accurate to say. But at the same time, as I listened to the governor on Thursday, if he wanted to take an opportunity at this point to to really use the bully pulpit and really you know, admonish Idahoans to to take more steps. I didn't hear that he did that, you know, and I, he has said repeatedly, he's not going to mandate masks statewide. You know, and, you know, I'm not going to opine one way or the other about whether he, he should take that stance, but at no point really did I hear him draw the bright line connection between if you want schools to reopen Idahoans, you need to do this. You, You need to really look yourselves in the mirror and say, we've, got to do better here and, you know, really kind of, you know, use the bully pulpit, as I say, and really encourage and really admonish and, and, you know, really, you know, do a call to action. I didn't quite hear that. And it's one thing when, you know, he's asked, well, what would you say to people about wearing a mask? And he says, wear a mask. Um, you know, I, I felt like he could have, yeah. should have, debatably should have come out with a more strong message of, you know, here's my reopening plan for schools. I expect schools to reopen, but we got work to do here, guys.
1: Yeah. And I I think absolutely, I think that that could have happened. And I think you can make this connection, but I mean, what if masks were available in your school's colors and it was, you know, help bring football back, mask up. What if it was, uh, you know, wear a mask, help public schools come back in the fall, wear a mask with the color scheme of of your local school. I mean, people could make this connection and, and and sort of make it a campaign and take some pride in it. And okay, here's a connection. And there's some personal responsibility involved. And um, I, I don't know, it's like when you drive by a restaurant that's closed, and the little marquee says, you know, we're doing our part, we hope to be back soon. I, I think if you really made the connection and gave folks an opportunity, and said this, then this, here's where the public comes involved. And if you put inject some pride into it, whether it's, your favorite sports team or your school or, you know, something that you believe in or are passionate about. Um, I don't know, but you know where we live in Boise masks are mandated and uh, I'm seeing them more and more. And I wear a mask. I wear a mask at the state house. I wear a mask when I go to the grocery store. I wore a mask in our office the other day when I visited Um, and I'm seeing it more and more. But yeah, I think that there would be an opportunity to maybe uh, have it be an organized campaign and inject some pride and say, hey, I'm doing this for a reason and let's get on board. Um, so that possibility seems like it's there at least.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a- again, I mean, I-, I get that Governor Little is in a political bind here. I mean, he's been criticized uh, on all sides for his response to this. And there was going to be criticism no matter which way he came down. I mean, this is oh, yeah. with such a... Complicated issue, and now it's such an emotional issue that there's going to be going to be heat coming down, no matter which uh, which way you know he, he, no matter which approach he took. So I I get all of that, Uh, but you know I think we're also at kind of a a pivotal point where you know the numbers are up, and I think with that, I think the concern is heightened, and you know I'm going back to. And there's a lot of things in my mind, but one of the things that's on my mind is uh, a tweet that I saw earlier this week from uh, from Dr. Dr. David Pate. He's the retired CEO of the St. Luke's Hospital System. And I, and I believe he's on uh, one of the governor's task forces on on coronavirus. I believe that's uh, correct. Who tweeted, uh, I am staying home more right now than I did in March and April, because I think the risk is higher in, in Boise now than it was in March and April. So I, I this is a doctor. This is a retired hospital CEO. If, if anybody knows what uh, what they're talking about, about this outbreak, it would be somebody like David Pate.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And, and it really
0: gets home. And I think that that speaks for a lot of people who are like, where are we? Where are we going? Well, I, we're talking about reopening schools, what does it really take to get us there?
1: I think that's exactly right. That's a good point about what Dr. Pate said. But then one of our colleagues uh, at KTVB Channel 7, I believe it was during the press conference, asked, our state epidemiologist, Dr. Christine Hahn, basically read the the tweet from Dr. Pate to uh, the state epidemiologist and said, "Do you agree with Dr. Pate that it's it's more dangerous or as dangerous as it's ever been?" And she said, "Yes." And so that's you know that's two experts right there um, who have devoted you know their lives and careers to these types of things, saying, you know, there's a real cause for concern. It may, it may be more dangerous now than it than it was back in March and April. Um, Dr. Pate for his part and for his family's part is taking additional precautions. And, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, look to things like that. I look to things like former Republican gubernatorial candidate, Tommy Alquist, obviously the retired, um, emergency room doctor, I believe, and some of the things yep. that he's said. So yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's been an interesting week, I guess is yeah, what, no, where I want to leave you with that.
0: No. And, you know, obviously, you know, you
1: know,
0: we hope the next time, next week when we're doing a podcast, you know, there'll be something in the numbers that we can point to to say, well, there's, there is a, there is, a glimmer of hope out there. Uh, there is something encouraging in terms of what's happening with the coronavirus and how that uh, might intersect with reopening K-12 and how it might intersect with reopening higher ed. But at this point, you know, the, the numbers are what they are. And we continue to report on those numbers and help, you know, about why do we write about coronavirus case numbers here in education website? Well, this is why. You know, we've got to be, you know, we've got to be on top of these numbers too because they affect what's going to happen with uh, with school reopening and, and you know, you know, education policy going forward. So, yeah, we got a lot to get to on this whole school reopening issue, but in education, it feels like this is the issue of the day, even though we've got a lot of other issues to kind of touch on here quickly. Yeah been a
1: full week. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and folks can continue to watch the homepage, www.idahoednews.org. As you mentioned, uh, by the end of the day, Friday, really by the end of the, by early evening, you're going to have the trend story up with the latest numbers. So that'll be new. Uh, Folks can look for that and we'll continue to cover school reopening, a situation with the virus, uh, local plans and so forth going forward. But uh, I guess maybe we move into the lightning round because like you said, that was not the only story this week. It wasn't even the only big story this week in terms of education news.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even the. It wasn't even only big issue that the state board of education took up. Yeah, so we listened to it on Thursday morning. Uh, the first order of business was to sign off on a, the first phase of a plan to ramp up digital higher education, in, in the state. And I wrote about this uh, from a piece on Thursday. It was what I was listening for in the state board meeting on Thursday morning, as we, kind of did. A little divide and conquer with the board. This is a big deal. And in any other week, it would be a really big story. Uh, the state is going to use $4 million of federal funding. This is uh, some of that uh, coronavirus aid money that came into the state for education. Yep. We're going to use the seed money to sort of set up, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of a, a unified portal for uh, digital online uh, higher education offerings so that if you're an out-of-work Idahoan and you're trying to, uh, you you, you know, get some job skills and some career skills, if you're a rural resident and you just can't move to a campus to take classes, or if you're a student and you're just concerned about going back to campus and you want to continue to take some classes, but you want to take it in a remote setting, this online portal is going to be sort of designed to be the one-stop shop where you can see what's available and build building off of what the eight colleges and universities are already offering in terms of online. This is really happening very quickly yeah. and it's Something that sort of unfolded in response to the coronavirus outbreak in response to the availability of some federal funds, um, you know, the higher education system did kind of an inventory of what's already available. In terms of uh, digital platforms, um, digital degrees, digital certificates. Cynthia Pemberton, the president of Lewis Clark State College, took the lead on that, and she said even she was surprised. She was like, "Wow, we've really got it going on here." There are about 200 certificates and degrees that you can get online, but the challenge is figuring out how to access it all. uh, You know, figuring out what's there and, and how to do this. So this whole idea of this online platform, this online marketplace. Is to try to make it a little bit more uh, accessible, a little bit more simple and straightforward for for users, so that people can get a certificate or get a degree uh, quickly and cheaply. Yeah. And you know, a lot still to sort out. And that was kind of my my takeaway as I wrote about it on Thursday. And you know, you were listening to Clark, so many unanswered questions about how this thing is going to work. I mean, what is this going to look like? You know, what are the what's the price point going to be? who runs this thing exactly and you know and really what happens in terms of student behavior um currently made the point that you know in the business world we probably do some market research uh you know we've looked at this issue before at the state level i mean we had governor otter's higher ed task force talk about this at length in 2017 you know long before we had coronavirus to, to even you know dream about or have bad dreams about now, with coronavirus, it's taken on a whole different uh, level of, you know, sense of urgency. But Liebig's point was, how sure are we that, you know, people are going to come and use this thing? We we, we don't know. You know. We'll find out pretty quickly because this is going to be rolling out to some degree in the fall. I mean, you know, the state board and the college and university leaders want to have something out there that people can, can start to access. So this is... Uh, this is going to move quickly, partly because the $4 million in federal funding, the state's got to spend it by the uh, end of the calendar year. That's one of the requirements under the uh, the Federal Coronavirus Stimulus Act. We're giving you this money, states. You've got to spend it. You can just sit on it. So again, moving very quickly. And it's been kind of a little bit under our radar, but uh, something that uh, I wanted to kind of, you know. Bring to your attention with the story on Thursday, and something we'll follow a lot more closely in the week and months ahead.
1: All yeah, all these changes, um, you know, that have certainly been brought on by the the pandemic. I mean, they're significant though, and I think that we'll look back and and, and only with the benefit of hindsight will we be able to appreciate how much changed. But you know, blended hybrid models at K twelve, moving online at higher ed, you know, moving online only basically stopping on a dime in March, um, all of Idaho's colleges and universities and moving online only through the end of the year. I, I, I think only once we've gotten through this and, and had a sense of, you know, some context, maybe we'd be able to fully appreciate how much things changed and understand whether it's, you know, change for now or change for long term. Uh, but these are significant decisions playing out very, very quickly, involving a lot of money, involving a lot of people. And, and so we're trying our best just to sort of keep tabs on, on what's happening.
0: And another story from this week, I want to get too quick before we wrap it yep. up. We have a lot of money, the Reclaim Idaho initiative, the latest on the initiative and the lawsuit surrounding the initiative, a uh, circuit court panel on Thursday, yep. in favor of Reclaim Idaho and said, uh, Reclaim Idaho should be able to, uh, begin its process of gathering online signatures, um, in this 48-day window that the federal district judge ordered uh, late last month. So a victory for Reclaim Idaho in the Circuit Court of Appeals saying we're giving the green light to resume signature gathering to begin this online phase of signature gathering in, in light of the pandemic. But the state is uh, still going to appeal this. Right. Uh, the state wants to appeal and try to stay on uh, the judge's order, allowing the online signature gathering. And the next stop for that would be to go to the U.S. Supreme Court to try to get the U.S. Supreme Court to issue a stay. So this is not over in court by anybody. And the court will be appealed. And that will come up in the next few weeks. So a lot going on with Reclaim Idaho.
1: Yeah, a lot going on there. It does look like you said though that they are going to try to move ahead with their online signature gathering effort planning as
0: next week. Yeah, uh, on Thursday, the claimant has said they're ready to start doing this, the first part of next week. So they're going to go forward, while the state, I'm sure, is going to continue its uh, its legal appeal. Uh, Governor Little on Thursday said that he plans to take this uh, with the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah. Uh, another story that you've been tracking is legal costs, uh, which just keep mounting and aren't slowing down, despite the pandemic and despite the uh, state budget holdbacks and cuts that we've been looking at. Uh, you had the latest on the expenses uh, in Superintendent Ibarra's lawsuit, uh, edging up uh, towards two hundred thousand. What was the what was the latest figure that you were looking at? Two
0: hundred twenty thousand was what taxpayers uh, pay for outside counsel in this case. Between what. David Leroy made to represent Sharia Barr, that came to about $77,000, and as we had previously reported, uh, the legislature's attorneys, uh, law firm of Holland and Hart in Boise, received about 142000 So that's, we can now kind of put a bow on that in terms of what the legal costs are because uh, the state board was represented in-house uh, through the attorney general. But uh, now you know, 220000
1: Yeah, Absolutely. We'll continue to follow that. We'll continue uh, to follow the reopening guidelines, both at K-12 and higher education. We do expect we will get more information in the coming days and weeks, and it could very well change. Uh, And I know what that must be like uh, for parents as well for educators out in the field. Um, But uh, nevertheless, that's that's the situation that we're in where it is changing and where what we think we know one day um, is very different a week or two later, Uh, we'll continue to follow that. We will, at this point, we know we'll be back next week with another new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. Kevin and I both will be here next week. We'll have another new show uh, next week, but uh, a lot to get into. And, you know, if a special session of the legislature does come together, we'll let you know. We'll let you know the reasons it's called. And I think that's one of the things holding it up is, you know, you're not just going to bring everybody back to Boise and have it be a free-for-all. And maybe that's what it would be Regardless. I think
0: there'd be an element of that. You would want to have a, a concise right you know, disciplined session to focus on the liability issue. Hundred and five legislators in town, there's going to be some uh, you know they're gonna have opinions.
1: Yeah, it would it would be a a very special session. Uh, as far as I'm yep. concerned. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's a lot. There's a lot going on. Always appreciate, I know this ran a bit long today, always appreciate um, you spending time with us and, and seeking us out, whether you're checking out the homepage at www.idahoednews.org or giving us a follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter or listening here on the podcast. We really appreciate it. I know we had a lot of fun breaking down this very complicated intersection of education, politics, in education policy, uh, but it means a lot. And I'm Clark. I'm Kevin, stay safe and have a good week.